0: This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Handy. There's um, two things I want to get done this week in this uh, in this ad, and that is I want you to use Handy. I also want to gain Twitter followers. My Twitter is at the Real Ask J. Not a great Twitter handle, I know, but uh, that's what it is. I'm gonna. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read some Handy copy, and then I'm gonna read a tweet of mine, and uh, you know maybe that'll. Leads you to do both. So Handy is a website where you can book top rated home cleaners and handymen, friendly vetted professionals at your doorstep. Just pick a time and we'll do the rest. Uh, my tweet. I'm having problems with the second act of my screen pro- screenplay. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm getting a little nervous, you know. I don't I don't like reading my tweets, but here we go. I'm having problems with the second act of my screenplay. The problem is I wrote the movie second act. Now, that's a reference to the the Jennifer Lopez movie. You know, nothing against the filmmakers, just uh, that it looks kind of bad. Uh, That got one like on Twitter. So, Handy, experienced and background check professionals, easy online payment rescheduling, affordable and flexible cleaning plans. They have it all. Um, Here's another tweet. I'm a writer, so, uh, yeah, I Google some pretty weird stuff. In case anybody's monitoring me, I sporadically Google... I'm a writer doing research for a project. Also, I'm responsible for every murder in Kansas City since 1991. Um, another tweet there. Uh, kind of a long one, not definitely not 140 characters, but you know, Twitter's not 280, of course. So, uh, I wasn't doing research for a project, <laughs> and I guess I also didn't murder anybody. So uh, two two retweets, one of them was the On Comedy Writing account That's how I control that, so that doesn't really count So really one to retweet in, uh, in eight likes um, Request your favorite professionals Every cleaning is insured, cleaning supplies included They also do furniture assembly, interior painting, hanging pictures and shelves TV mounting, plumbing, electrical handyman, and more And I guess one more tweet here um so in kind of a um an asterisk thing you know as it suggests this isn't this is like preamble um okay for this joke to work you have to know the television show adam ruins everything and you have to pretend that adam conover is having gay sex with me so that's the end of the preamble and then it says adam ruined my ass um uh, eight likes uh, yeah. Not really proud of that one. So, book a cleaner today and save by going to boardwalkidu.com slash handy. That's boardwalkidu.com slash handy. Follow me on Twitter.
1: This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast.
0: On comedy
1: writing. On comedy writing. <laughs>
0: Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast of the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to slash oncomedywriting. Click the Supporter Artist button to shop on Amazon like you would, and we get a little kickback. I've heard of On Comedy Writing, but On Comedy Journalism? Well, that's what this episode is about with our guest, Jesse David Fox. He's a senior editor at Vulture, focusing on the comedy beat. He's the host of the great podcast, Good One, where he dissects a joke with a comedian. Very interesting podcast. I highly recommend it. There's some great episodes with many of your very famous comedians that I could never book on this show. So uh, check it out. If you're interested in any sort of comedy journalism, I think this will be a very helpful episode. So here is Jesse David Fox. Uh, Jesse, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate uh
0: it. where are you from originally
1: uh long island new york i used to i didn't actually say this i used to self-mythologize that i would tell people that i was born in queens and then my parents moved upstate <laughs> uh but i was born in queens and then a month later moved to long island and then my parents moved to upstate when i was 20 and i've never lived there once uh other i you know so the, i don't know who i just had that lie in my head and then I've never told that to anyone. So the truth is, I'm, fr- I'm from Long Island. I'm from uh south shore of not- Nassau County. <laughs> it, is, it is cool
0: to uh, be born in the city, then immediately leave.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's. It, it's I grew up, up in a State? part of Queens that is not... You don't go like, oh, you were born in the city. It's like the part right. of Queens that's so far out that it's the suburbs. Um, that you can't be... <laughs> like, if I were to say I was born in the city... I would be – you know, there's those people – I only know if Chicago is this, which is Chicago people who are from the city are so mad at Chicago people who say they're from Chicago, but they're (laughs) from, like, Nutria or whatever. Uh, And I don't get it because who cares? But that said, I would be a true psychopath if I said I was from the city. I was born in the city. I grew up (laughs) in the city because I grew up in – because I spent a month in Fresh Meadows, Uh, uh, two weeks of which I think I was, like, in an incubator in the hospital. So uh, (laughs) – I think it's a, a bunch of lies. I'm, uh, I can't claim to be uh, cool.
0: <laughs> I saw a a concert at Forest Hill Stadium
1: mm-hmm. uh, in Queens, and uh, there's like right next to it's like a bunch of houses. Yeah, it's just houses. I mean, to be fair, you go deep enough into Brooklyn, it's just houses. Um, like the city is filled with just houses, and also most cities are filled with just houses. Right? Uh, not just houses, but most cities have like a center, and then like there's houses around it. Um, we just like. For whatever reason, New York City is just obsessed with the fact that there's a part of it that has big tall buildings. Uh, but most, of the, you know, more people live in Brooklyn than Manhattan. Sure. And, and, uh, I don't. know. Queens is close to Manhattan. I can't remember which is first, but I remember hearing that Brooklyn, if it was its own city, would be the fourth largest city in America.
0: Oh, interesting. I would not have guessed that.
1: Yeah, it's it's big, and it has like two point something million people.
0: Right. Wow. It just—I just can't imagine you know living in a house in Queens, uh, right outside Forest Hill Stadium, just like concerts play. Like people were sitting on the streets.
1: I don't think it always had concerts, um, but yeah, I mean that's the, the you know that's the hustle and bustle. You move to New York City and there's a train going by your window, right? That's what we were all promised. I looked at <laughs> one apartment that—that that was part of it. Oh no, it was the BQE. As it was in Greenpoint, and the like. It's only whatever a month because, like, you'll hear the noise of a train. Right, right. Um, And uh, I didn't live there because that sounded terrible. Actually, I said I was fine with it. My roommate at the time was like, I'm not going to do that. Mm. I have no, um, what do you call it? It's not self-worth, but it's, like, considerate. Like, I just, like, am a bad representative of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, when When you were growing up, were you interested in comedy at all? Um, I like to say, oh, I, I hope to never say it again in this interview. Um, I, I feel like no one being into comedy wasn't like a thing people were known to be into just cause it's like, I collected cards and of like sports people cause there were cards of sports people. So I knew that was a hobby. I didn't like sort of, um, litigate and I didn't like investigate what I was given to be into and then be like, I don't want to be into these things. I have a different taste. <laughs> um, so I didn't know I was into comedy more than other people. I just was into it probably slightly more than some or a lot more. I don't know. I just watched I, my, it was what I watched. I didn't watch a drama until like six, I was 16 or so. It was Boston Public and for some reason I was I was like, something about this show really intrigues me.
0: <laughs> Boston Public is kind of a comedy, right? Well oh, then it? maybe
1: that's what it is. Maybe it was a... you like Boston
0: Bo- isn't Boston Legal a spin off of Boston Public? No. Am I wrong in saying that?
1: I don't think it is. Boston Public's about a public school. Maybe at the end, I stopped watching it. It was about a high school. It was dramatic for me. Yeah. Um so I like I just like my from a young age, my parents did not say like, oh, you can watch this stuff. So they like we watched what what they watched, so we watched fox's sunday lineup was big so that was um a living color and then the simpsons and then um the critic i remember watching is a family specifically that we watched the gather around to watch a critic but I, I for the most part i say like there's i there's never a time in my life i remember uh that i have that i remember not watching the simpsons mm-hmm. um and that was just sort of the only show i watched and then i watched sort of home improvement i remember liking a lot um and then once i sort of had my own tv you know it's watched rerun, so it's Seinfeld, Simpson, Seinfeld, Simpson, Seinfeld, Simpsons, and then, um, eventually, whatever the comedy channel whatever started, I watched it, and then you know, or and when Chris Rock's special came out, we watched it as a family. I didn't understand so much of it. <laughs> um, in retrospect, now I was like, there's just that whole toss salad, tossing salad part, which is like a thing I think no one remembers about. I pre- know. Oh, yeah, there's a whole thing about watching a jail documentary. I believe that's from uh Bring the Pain. So that was a big deal and then I just watched an amount of stand up but I remember loving Chris Rock um more than sort of anybody when which I think my that's like oh you're exactly between 32 and 35 like every person that was like that's the one special. Um and then at around uh it must have been 16 or 17 I got a fake ID um, because I just sort of—I knew, knew my brother did, and it was like a whole thing. And it, I could go into that story, but it's truly unrelated. Um, but I feel like the main thing I used it for was to go to the comedy cellar.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: I don't know how I knew of the comedy seller, and I don't know, like I—I I don't know how that got on my radar as the place to go. Maybe there wasn't Google. I was about to say I googled it. I don't know how I altavisted it, or I think was the search engine I would have used, and. They at the time, because this was uh pre boom, this was truly at the lull. Um, would give out if you free admission if you downloaded um some sort of coupon online. Um, wow, really? Yeah, yeah, this was this was in 2002.
0: Oh, wow, okay.
1: Um, when no one liked comedy, (laughs) there was like there was three comedians, really. And like, like, (laughs) yes, everyone else was like sort of doing any everything, but like for the most part. (laughs) Between, like, 2000 and 2004, the, ones, the only comedians that people, like, were really going to go see were, like, Dane Cook, Mitch Hedberg, Dave Chappelle, David Cross were, like, the only comedians. Did I mean, you put made,
0: Hedberg in that category, too? But,
1: oh, there's sort of Hedberg, to me, defines the sort of lull before the boom. Hmm. But, like, he never reached. Right. He never got to, like, catch, uh, check in on it. But, like, I guess Carlos Mencia. Right, right. Um, but so the commentator's just a it uh we would go some nights it would be packed some nights it would be empty they don't they did like maybe 3 shows on a friday instead of now when they do like 25 shows on a friday um and i would i never drank so i got mudslides i remember that was like the drink cause I hit this true drink minimum so i got a mudslide cuz like i don't know drinking but that sounds nice what is a mudslide oh it, it's, it's like, like the... it's like chalk i don't know it's like ice cream right right um that i just remember that so distinctly <laughs> so embarrassingly and i don't remember what i got the other times i think i got, probably got food The other times i was like oh i can't food um <laughs> and I, I it just became the thing that i would do i would always want to bring up that we should go do it me and my friends and we'd go a bunch through um midway through college like every time i'd visit home because i went to school um in maryland and it uh it was great and then like you know you had the stories that people tell like I saw Chris Rock working on his MTV movie awards or music awards <laughs> speech. Um, and it was terrible. Right. That's the thing. Like, and then we saw the big thing was in 2000, must've been four or five. Dave Chappelle dropped in at the end of a set. So we had to get back to long Island and like the last train was, let's say it's at two or something. And Dave Chappelle comes in at one and we're like, Oh great. And then like, but we'll still be able to make the last train. And then, like, he goes on for at least an hour and a half just hanging out. And I was like, this is amazing. Little did I know this is, like, the only thing he ever does. <laughs> and he talked about nothing other than he mentioned, like, oh, it wouldn't be nice to be married to Oprah or whatever. And then that became that sketch. And I was like, that's, oh, wow. that's so fascinating. And then I sort of stopped going. Uh, <laughs> I stopped going because I thought it started to suck. Not because it mm-hmm. ultimately it's... Um, They were doing the same I didn't know that they've been sucking this whole time Not to name certain people But like You're like Oh they just do the same 10 minutes Because they just don't care Like you just sort of like Really Become I became really annoyed About how Hacky Or not hacky Hacky to themselves Right It's like If you do the same bit Over and over again And only that bit You're like You're you're yourself You're like a self hack Um, But I get it I know why they do it Blah 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 But why, I, why, why do they do it? You think? Oh, because it's fun. Just trying to hang out at the cellar. Well, it's like they're working on stuff, and I think they th- partly they get paid to be at right. the cellar. I think the thing that is um complicated about like all the clubs and <laughs> not to say comedians shouldn't get paid they, they had a whole strike about it, <laughs> but because the camp cellar pays better than everyone else for the most part, or like whatever they set the pay is, what everyone else does, and they keep on keep pushing it forward, um, it incentivizes doing a good job so that you can keep on coming back. So you have to do and the thing is like that incentive exists for like your first 10 years performing there. Um because they you need to be like, "Oh, he crushes every time." Because that's the thing. Like it's a unless you're really established, you can't go there and be like, "Yeah, I'm just going to work it out and it's like it's okay if I bomb right. or it's okay." Unless you're Dave Chappelle, One, that audience is so unforgiving, but also just, like, that audience wants you to crush. And it's not an audience that's like, all right, do your thing, you know? Like, it's okay if we don't laugh for six minutes. Um, And that's a useful skill because, like, you go to rural blah, 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 and there's some chuckle hut. They're not going to be, like an audience at the bell house. They're going to be like an audience yeah. at the comedy seller. Cause for the most part, the bell, the, the, the comedy cellar is filled with people who go to the chuckle hut, who are just in New York city and, right. and saw it on Louie or on crashing or whatever the fuck. Um, so that's, it creates an ecosystem where it's like, Oh, you're incentivized to do well. And the, your peers are watching blah, blah, blah. And what usually I think most people do is they do like, old stuff for a minute then new stuff for three minutes depending on how it's going and then old stuff for another nine minutes or something (laughs) like that and and that's and but the only way you can then become better is you play lots of places right i think um if you just become like a new york club comedian or comedy seller specific comedian then you're, you're gonna as hampered as if you only did the reverse right i think actually you're probably more hampered but that's a debate about alternative rooms that truly no one cares about anymore.
0: Yeah, that that, that
1: debate has died, down. <laughs> I try to bring it up all the time <laughs> because I am... It was really reignited by that episode of Crashing, <laughs> <Yeah>. maybe? <laughs> I thought so, this, but they sort of dropped it. No one yeah. ca- Like, truly no one cares about the fact that alternative comedy is a thing that uh, exists and is, like, generally a more gracious scene and... um which happened. So I stopped seeing, I stopped going to comedy probably my mid-college. Uh, I saw some stuff at my college that we booked. I worked in the program where we booked it. And then I moved to New York and didn't really see anything because I was just like, comedy sucks. Um, and then when I moved to L.A., I had a friend who was... Uh, I worked at Willie Morris. And they asked me to move to L.A. And I didn't like it there. But at Willie Morris, or really L.A., but I had a friend who was like, hey, come with this comedy show. And I was like, okay, you're my friend. And it was a Halloween comedy Death Ray, and I was very scared because they do a haunted house and it was very scary. (laughs) I didn't like that. It was scary? Well, it's just like, someone jumps out at you and I hate that. Is it it at UCB? Yeah, yeah. They made a little... I don't know. I still... In my head, you walked for five minutes through, like, hallways, but that's impossible (laughs) because I don't know where you've walked. Um, And then... um, So, Brett Gelman and John Daly open doing the characters they do on the podcast, and then... Matt Walsh did something stupid, but it was fine. And then Hannibal Buress went. So this was 2008, 2008, 2009. And I obviously hadn't heard him because I hadn't really been following comedy as much anymore. I still like, I remember Demetri Martin was sort of like, I like Demetri Martin. And obviously like TV shows. Like I remember Flight of the Concords was really seminal, but it just wasn't a thing. And then um, I saw Hannibal and he was so funny and he had a joke um, about eating a whole tilapia and the punchline i just remember was sort of like there's bones in this like this is not a trash can i am not Heathcliff." (laughs) and i became obsessed with that i just couldn't believe someone said something so funny which in retrospect it's like kind of funny but not and i just was i was uh hooked as they say and then i went back next week and it was kyle Canaan's album album release party which and he did a bit that he hasn't done in forever, obviously, uh, where he just walks through this pizza menu he got that has a very large pizza. I don't know if you've ever seen it, and I, it, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. To that, at that point, um, still to this day, no one I can't. There's no one I can go to that will make me laugh harder than Kyle Kinane. I almost um, saw when I saw him at the UCB East one time. I almost threw up I had a joke <laughs>
0: out of laughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy.
1: He had a joke about he's so old he. He's basically like, um, he went to the gas station, he bought whatever, and he got like forty six cents in change, and he just shook and then threw it right in the trash can. <laughs> and I don't know what it was, but I was like, that is such a perfect. I mean, like I can analyze why it's a good joke, but I just yeah. couldn't believe how funny it was. Yeah. And then, so then I would go like three times a month, and um, podcast was starting, and I was and I would listen to those, and I really liked them. And um,
0: that was like a the heyday of UCB Franklin, maybe. Yeah, it was. That was I like mean, the prime.
1: I guess in retrospect, I guess it was, but I just like comedy death row was like the thing that I'd go to, and yeah. then I would go to some other stuff, and then um, that is sort of I can't remember what the original question of how I got into comedy, <laughs> but like essentially that at that point I was like that became my thing, and it was a good timing mm-hmm. because it was right when 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 I end up writing a piece about this comedy boom, I was like oh I was just like right in the moment when it was going to crux, like if I, a, a year earlier. I might have been too cynical towards it, but I was, like, right where, oh, like, Hannibal's putting out his first album, Mikhail Kyle Kinane was putting out his first album, and John Mulaney just did his special, and then um, Louie was happening at WTF, just came out. So it was just sort of timed exactly ready, and then Splitsider was about to just start. Mm-hmm. Um, I could keep a monologue, but I feel like no, I no. want you to ask whatever question. Well, during this time, when like, say, like, even when you're at the
0: Comedy Cellar, then later when you started going to UCB in, in L.A., were you ever thinking of you yourself doing
1: comedy? Um, no. I Let me think if I ever thought I would do comedy. Um, I really don't think I did. I, I, The main thing that I at the time, because I was not doing this, was if I was going to write. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to. I had um, only started like doing culture writing because I wanted to work in the music business. So in college, I wrote for the college newspaper about music just to be doing something else that's music related, but I didn't even write that many, I wrote like four reviews, but it was enough that on Craigslist, I was able to like apply to get some like crappy website to let me write music reviews for them. And I really liked it. But then when I, at William Morris, I, had a, I was not allowed to write, um, and then I did it for two years. And then towards the end of still working there, I was like, I'm just going to start a blog. And that was, like, an outlet for being funny. Like, when I thought of writing, I did not think of, like, being a grand essayist or being, um like, a journalist that did, like, investigative reporting. I wanted to write blog posts. So, I just, like, wrote funny – not even – probably not that funny, but, like, I wrote, like, recaps to Top Chef. You know, like, that, that's what I did. I started blogging, blog and write recaps to Top Chef for no one. I took screenshots and made funny <laughs> pictures on it. So, like, to me, that was, like, enough of an outlet and then – um yeah, I was like, oh, I want to be just a blogger one day. That was sort of my dream. I, you know, I when I was working, I just would read Vulture all the time. I was like, this is the coolest place on earth. Um, and now I work with, like, some of those people. And you're like, that's just, like, that guy. His name is Lane. He works. <laughs> um, and that was it. I never thought of sort of doing anything. It just sort of people did it. And you just sort of, I can't do it. And um, I would think of jokes intermittently i remember i bought a sweater and then i think about oh if i did comedy i would come on stage and say something like um i know what you're thinking like did a open casting for rent just let out or something like that (laughs) okay um there's lots of stuff that i was like that i would write sort of things but not thinking i'd ever do it Mm -hmm. um really but that's just sort of like it's it's what I what to do now which is like I was on the train and I saw someone and I was like oh I could think I, I will s- instead of reading my book I'm now going to think if I can think of a joke about this and then I didn't have enough time to finish it so now I just have something about someone with bangs so short that and I wanted I wanted to be the version of that joke of like you're walking so slow you're walking backwards mm-hmm. but oh, I bang wanted so to be short. your bangs so short they're sort of reverse yeah. in your head but I can't <laughs> <laughs> think of how to articulate it. that's all day i'm gonna think about that and then i'll tweet and no one will like it because no one twitter i think made everyone think they can be maybe a little bit of a comedian right and then you're like oh no one finds any of this stuff. Right. <laughs> i uh i went viral for a tweet last week oh uh, what was the tweet
0: it was not good it was, was it, um
1: was it a funny one i've had only like one funny thing go viral and-
0: it was well, it was it was meant to be funny okay. it was uh i you'll find it funny <laughs> it seems so lame for me to recount my tweets no, i think that's what this uh <laughs> Uh, Lena Lena Dunham's entire career is based off
1: of nepotism. Oh, that
0: yes, you saw it. You did saw I the retweet tweet that I thought that was. I did. I <laughs> wow, this is shocking that you saw that tweet to because me because
1: I am a famous Lena Dunham stan, and <laughs> so anyone who is willing to acknowledge a truism, which is like this idea of her nepotism, is like ridiculous <laughs> that we. We, as a society, care that her parents are fine artists. Right. That no one knows. That her mom photographs miniatures. Mm-hmm. And her dad does sort of like large paintings, but is much less successful than his mo- than her mom is. Um, And she said that. She's like, anyone complaining about nepotism is like, tell me who my parents are. Tell me where in the Whitney their art hangs. <laughs> Which is some nepotism. I and mean, she grew up rich, but she didn't grow up more rich than a lot of other people. Right. And it, like... J- Nick Kroll and Julia Dreyfus can like buy Lena Dunham's family 50 yeah. times over and not even like it will like dent. No offense to how much money they have. Some people grow up money. It's fine. Yeah. They're they're both have a lot of shame towards it. Well, Nick does. I don't know if Julia Dreyfus does.
0: Well, his, uh, I don't know.
1: We don't need to talk about that. but his... No, actually, I actually don't want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah. The Nick Kroll um, conspiracy theorists. I am. Oh, part- those are weird. Yeah. Well, I'm part of the conspiracy. <laughs> I literally shouldn't talk about it because they, <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's scary, but I am part of it because I. And pro Tignataro, and that's part of the conspiracy.
0: right, right, right.
1: But I, I don't want to get into. It. I get a lot of mean. Yeah, I get yeah. a lot of gross tweets. Yeah, uh, back to my tweet <laughs> that are uh, anti-Semitic. Oh, uh, can
0: you believe it? <laughs> Gosh.
1: Uh, so yeah. you had a viral tweet, and it was great. You should have be able to fully recount it because it was so funny. I don't think I, I give funny. you the fort.
0: Uh, Lena Dunham, her entire career is based off of nepotism. Uh, and I guess the next part was uh, oh. If her father wasn't Jeff Dunham, the funniest man in America, would we even know who yeah. she was?
1: I remembered. I was almost gonna f- come in. I was just like that's exactly what it that was exactly it. I was so jealous of it. Oh God. That I was so in the woods of being so earnestly in defense of <laughs> Lena Dunham that I was not able to make a joke about it.
0: Um but uh, I forgot why I brought that up, probably just to brag. Tweets. But... Oh,
1: tweets make people think they're comedians. Oh, so yeah. yes, that was and so um And so I am. I am a comedian. Yeah, you're a comedian. Someone call me a comedian on a podcast. Recently, and I was like, I can't. To me, comedians are people. I have specific rules. People are comedians, are people get paid to do live to perform comedy.
0: Yeah, well, there's not, that. That definition takes away a lot of people. Yeah,
1: people are paid to perform comedy, so that can be on a screen. If you are just writing and never perform, you are not a comedian. Mm. That is my. You are a worthy member of society. Right, right. I am a member of that uh, yeah, yeah, tribe. Yeah. Uh, that's like a little pun. Because the Jew, Jews do <laughs> comedy writing, but uh, you're just not a comedian. I I think a comedian is a person who doesn't.
0: Well, that's interesting because I know like a lot of uh, <clears throat> I know a lot of UCB people struggle to call themselves comedians.
1: Oh, because they don't get paid. Or not, gonna no, get. I, oh, <laughs> this is this is how secretly you're gonna get into that debate.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean that. Although that's you know, part of it, I, guess, I suppose. But wow, because that's really interesting.
1: Now I'm that's now I'm more pro it. I was always whatever, but like oh now they get to be called a comedian because so they get paid to do. It um but they uh oh because they don't do stand-up and so if you say comedian
0: people think stand-up obviously i think
1: for no second. i mean some people do but i think people don't.
0: who don't don't aren't like huge yeah, followers I feel,
1: yeah i think people don't know improv exists right even though it's been around for 60 whatever years and was very famous but yeah i think all the famous people we know are comedians because it's hard to get famous as improvisers but right. Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch are going to try so hard to pull it off <laughs> they're going to do it they're going to be they're going to succeed where tj and tj and dave couldn't.
0: <laughs> well they're making they're making some money on that tour probably I right do they're making money they're yeah but also out. i
1: think like that they can film and they'll sell it to netflix and like oh can you know someone like me will write some essay can improv work not live and it's hard because the danger is removed and just uh <laughs>
0: Do you think it impro- I don't I don't think it can really.
1: I think it um I think you'd have to contextualize it a little bit differently. I mean, we all like that's the thing like I loved Whose Line Is It Anyway, mm-hmm. and that is improv. It's obviously short form, but like that is improvising and what is exciting. Right, it's true. I think it's this you have to contextualize it differently. Um it, you know, like um there's improvised like no SNL's not improvised. I was like, imp- like I think the thing that you'd have to do is if you can get it live, it's probably your best bet. Right? As the thing about mm. you can if you can get the danger back a little bit. We're all watching the same thing at the same time. Um, that would be something. Otherwise, this improv would have to be so good, right. and that is a standard that is also ultimately not fun. You don't want improv that, that has to be good all the time. You want it. The fact that it could be bad is what's exciting about
0: it. it's interesting. So you think. So you enjoy watching improv sometimes when it's bad?
1: No, I don't enjoy you, it. You enjoy this? No, of it. I want to have known that before it was bad. But I'm seeing something good. I don't <laughs> want to see something bad. There's like I I think I there's no I think there's probably people like oh, I like watching bad improv. No, it's yeah. not fun. Probably because bad improv is usually young people doing improv, right, and then right. you feel their need. I think I'd be fine watching bad improv if they're like legends, and they also find it funny that it's not working. Um, but I think, ultimately, really good improvisers, it's never so bad. It's just not right. good improv. It might be funny. It's just not going to be good. Mm-hmm. It won't connect. And everyone in the audience will feel it not connect. And that's vaguely interesting. But truly bad where it's not funny and it's not connecting, I don't think anyone needs through <laughs> that. <laughs> uh when did you transition to like taking blogging more seriously yeah when did i transition to taking blogging more seriously <laughs> um it was new year's day uh no it is it, it was so a lot of my big things i think have happened new year's new year's because i take resolutions and i stick, stick to them. Ah, okay so i had, what, are your, what are your plans for this year um oh i was just thinking about i was gonna have a Oh, I can't remember what it was I had a it was gonna be a joke one It was like something should have attainable resolutions, and then it was and then I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I haven't made it yet, but I, I will think of uh one I promise, and I'll <laughs> call you again. yeah thank you <laughs> um uh so one year's i was say it' was 2009 maybe, two thousand nine to two thousand ten maybe I was living in San Francisco, and I did that for a few months. i was the only time I was ever young, I like to say because it was I had no direction I was fine with it um i lived with 13 people in a five-bedroom apartment uh i had a big beard we was three bathrooms so only one worked anyway so i was like i need to get out of this so i had two plans which was i'm going to uh use i was gonna say buy rosetta stone french but i was not buying it i was going to illegally download (laughs) rosetta snowed french and i was going to start pitching to write other places Um, because I was like, I'm either going to be a writer. I'm going to move to France. If I'm not going to, I sort of like either, I think some people make it with their dreams and other people don't. And that's okay. But if that's going to be the case, I might as well be a young person who lives in France. So I did that for a few weeks and then, um, uh, the, the writing took off by taking off. I mean, people let me write for free. um, and I had day jobs, so I didn't mind that. And I I was young enough that I didn't need to sleep, so I didn't mind it. And so I was writing... Like, I would write these sort of um, Thursday night comedies when NBC had those comedies. Community Office, Parks and Rec. I wrote, like, a thing about that. I wrote an essay based on what happened. A full essay. It's actually now in retrospect, like, pretty impressive. Um, I can't imagine doing that now. And that is that... Then I started writing more things for that, and then um, I would contribute to, like, I did interviews for this website, Pop Matters, about music, and I was so nervous. Um, I would only do email interviews because I didn't want to talk to people. <laughs> and then my first phone interview, I think, was I was introduced to, uh, I interviewed Scott Ackerman and Jeff Ulrich about Earwolf for Splitsider with the plan that I was like, Splitsider has no one writing weekly about comedy podcasts. I'm going to do this interview and then I'm going to parlay it into writing about comedy podcasts, thinking like I was a grand plan, like Splitsider, needed to be tricked for someone to write a weekly column for free. Uh, but that's exactly what happened. I did that interview and then I asked to do a weekly podcast column. So I did that.
0: Oh, did you start like This Week in Comedy Podcast? Yeah, wow. I, I
1: started that. Isn't that amazing? My grand legacy is starting that. So that happened and then... That
0: um, did t- take over Like a- the AV club thing Oh
1: thank you That's very nice yeah. to hear I don't know if it did. Well I
0: think it's more about I think it's more about The AV club Not doing the-
1: I'm not I won't <laughs> speak Ill About the AV club um, So And then I'm trying to think Of the least boring way To condense The rest of the story So um, And that this A bunch of things At the same time I moved back to New York To pursue writing more As So they're Bye bye France I haven't been to France since um, And then So that happened Moved back to New York So um writing about podcasts and then i um had to do this story i was i i started doing graphs i found a website that makes allows you to make graphs treebly it's a it's like a .edu so i used that seriously in one of my columns on a thursday about it was like some pie chart about joke breakdowns or something and then so i was asked to do those type of things for a list tablet was doing of the 100 um, greatest Jewish movies or something. And I, so I spent hours figuring it, like thinking of data and how to like make three earnest graphs. But I was like, this is not a post. I'll fill it out with seven funny graphs. (laughs) And those seven funny graphs were the only thing people cared about. And it was like a real breakthrough. It was like, Oh, this is funny. This is exactly my thing. That became my, so then, um, Adam Frucci was running Splitsider, asked me if I wanted to recap 30 Rock. I was like, no, recaps are boring and hard, and I don't like plot summary. He's like, well, what if you do it as these graphs? I was like, yeah, I can do that. So I did jokes as graphs. So that was like another breaking yeah, point. Yeah. And that's uh, my t- So I would sort of both like summarize the joke in a graph and sometimes add new jokes. It actually is kind of a muddled premise now, thinking back to it. But someone at Vulture saw those. I was like, hey, do you want to do anything for Vulture? I pitched a bunch of serious ideas and graphs for the Oscars. And they're like, I'll do graphs for the Oscars. <laughs> that was a huge story relative to what the internet was at the time. That is then how I started working on Vulture. Um, is be- The graphs was my entry point. I became a, a blogger through that. Um, and then I just was like really only blogging and doing like funny quizzes. Um another my first real breakthrough was uh i did this age quiz where you had a you looked at two pictures of paul rudd and you had to say which one was older oh i remember that one yeah that was the <laughs> that that was the first thing they always said when i if i died that would be he made the paul rudd age quiz <laughs> and then you know then i i mean that was six years ago and then i was not hired to be so i worked at splitsider and then vulture but i was not hired to be a comedy writer to write about comedy i was hired just to be a blogger and then I was like, hey, I can write about comedy. I know. They're like, yeah, do that. And then um, I did a list of 50 comedians you will and you should know. The first list, which you look back at and like those people are now very famous. It was very easy to predict because it was right before all the people got jobs, right? So it's like <laughs> Amy Schumer was on that list and John Mulaney oh, was on wow, that yeah. list and Ron Funches and um, Broad City. And it was like – an. it's both a really obvious list and a list that was very successful. And then um, – then I did a list of that that essay about the comedy boom. Um, hey, we're living in it. This is it. That was almost correct um, until the end, where I tried to predict what was next. And I was so wrong. I'm so mad at myself. What would you say? What you say? I was just I, there's it's muddled. And it's not even point. There's no point. I knew something else. There was a nexus. Uh, there was a extension of what it means when a comedy scene is more. Um, in more welcoming and more savvy and there's a real community and where the audience is forgiving and blah, blah, blah. And I, what I said doesn't matter cause it's wrong and it, it's nothing. What is correct, which is a piece that my colleague Alex Jung wrote, which is about, uh, the piece called the new Queens of comedy. And it was about, um, the queer comedy scene in New York. Mm. And it was like, that's, that was the answer. And it was so close. And if I guess that I would be a freaking genius, <laughs> But I didn't, and uh, it's one of my grand regrets. So by that point, I'm now we're now caught up to I'm a person who writes about comedy on Vulture, <laughs> and I also write funny things on Vulture. Um, and now, yeah, and then I have a podcast, and now yeah. I barely write at all. For- <laughs> uh,
0: it's interesting thinking about, like, you mentioned the graphs. Yes. There's been, I feel like, a rise of, like, comedy in journalism, or, like, people being funny in their journalism journalistic pursuits. In, in what way? Well, I guess maybe I'm just thinking, because, like, on Twitter... I feel like all the journalists are always making jokes.
1: Oh, well, there's that. There's All the comedians think they're journalists, and all the journalists think they're comedians. Right, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think—I wish I was not part of that trend. <laughs> because all they're doing is like, Trump's hair is stupid today or whatever. Right. Um,
0: well, and, I think some people are actually kind of funny. Like, I, like uh, well, I, I, I like Ashley Feinberg, I'll yes. you know, say. She's very funny on Twitter. She's
1: good at—I just—I I find being funny on Twitter— Anytime I have a tweet go viral, I know it's bad. Like I know that I accidentally played into what are the things that go viral. <laughs> right, right. I can't remember. Sometimes it actually is good, but like anytime it does, it's like, oh you figure out a, the a tone that works. And so I think Ashley is has very savvy, figured out a tone that works. And um but the problem is it's like it's all, no matter what, you're still on Twitter and it's bad. Yeah. That, that, that's very fair. <laughs> so like, she's good at being in a bad system. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I feel like I I try, like actually you're doing a great job. You're not listening to this, but just know, I think you're, you are funny. I just think that Twitter is bad. And yeah, I just yeah. want to make you're, you're in this. Uh, what's it? The friendly fire of me just being like, <laughs> no one is funny on Twitter. Um, as best as they try. And no one's successfully earnest on Twitter either. Mm-hmm. But I do think I do think journalists um, are
0: funnier in their pieces today. Do like, they do try to make jokes?
1: I think. I mean, there's always been, and maybe
0: it's been like this—the this snarky tone of like Gawker or something—kind yeah. of permeated throughout the internet.
1: Well, I think there's a there's a willing. I mean, so much tones on the internet, and then internet editors are more willing to have whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's probably there's always examples of it. I wish I knew more about journalism so I could tell you all the people who are <laughs> funny. Um, but there there are, I think, um, in my own case, two years ago, I felt I was good at the idea of analyzing comedy felt like so easy for me to do it. I, I like to do my thing, which is like, this joke is this. And then you do one of those. And And I told my editor... Uh, I'm gonna use more metaphors this year, and they're like, "Oh no!" I was like, "Sorry, this is too boring, and you want me interested?" So I just put every piece would have like five, and be like, "Just keep one." Right. If you keep one, I've done my job because otherwise, I'm on very fa- fairly easy edit. Like you just sort of smush it down, um, and so that's what I do now. My pieces have at least one. Usually, have at least <laughs> one metaphor or symbolism. Or I've gotten better at like including turns of phrases. I'm um, There's like the one that, I, again, I don't write as many pieces as I used to, and but I wrote that SNL, a sports piece this year, and there's mm-hmm. a sentence that was saying how like, it lays out like every episode's a game and season and season are the same word was what I wrote. And I was like, that's not laugh out loud funny, but it kind of actually sounds like <laughs> a Microbiglia turn of phrase. Um, yeah, I think it was, I, I, I pursue things that are comedy writing. I always pursue that on the side, and I never, for a while, never thought it would try to overlap. And I was like, well, if I'm writing, I might as well try to be this part of me, try to have it a little bit more reconciled, Um, which is, I think, a thing that I also, in my comedy writing things, try to figure out ways to have, like, who I am as a a thinker be in this stuff Mm, that I do as well.
0: Yeah. Back when you were uh, freelancing more, uh, what are your tips? What were your tips for, like, pitching publications? <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, you, this is, I, uh, if anyone's listening for, <laughs> this is useless. I came up in a very specific time in which people who have no experience in journalism could write for free, and then um, if they have a voice and, like, could do a job, people have them keep on doing it. So there's no tips, right? I I, I think the tip that it's, oh, my God, this is going to, I this is not interesting, but it's like true. And I just self mythologizing, but like I remember, was watching a documentary about the ABA when I was a kid, and and uh, you're right, the ABA, and they're they're talking about how Bob Costas was out of college and got a job calling ABA games. He's most interested in baseball, but there was not any jobs in that for a young kid. This is an opportunity. And then when the ABA got big, he he rode the wave with it. And then he became Bob Costas. I think it's Bob Costas. It might be Marv Albert, but let's say it's Bob Costas. And I and I always remember that. I was like, oh, if you can get something like at a low of a crest, you will like ride the crest a little bit. Um, so I do think what was valuable for me and I think is valuable for pitching, is pitch a story for the site for a reason and know they do the thing that you can do and know the site well. Mm-hmm. And oh, they need this. Oh, they don't write they don't have freelancers write reviews. Don't pitch a review. And um I think the oh, uh, you know, like and I was pretty narrow in my focus because I for the most part I just wrote for free for two sites until I got a job um at one of the sites and then I got a job at another site. So and I never wanted to be a freelancer because I don't like asking for money. So I was never gonna do it. I never did it, and I never asked for money <laughs> um ever once. Which is bad. And it's, I don't, I don't model yourself after me. Um, so I think the thing I know also is an, from being an editor for a time is uh, don't pitch a piece that is ultimately this thing is good. That's uh, pitch a thing that's either I have expertise in this or I'm willing to do this research or this reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, because th- that is a, the pitch I would get most often is this thing that you have not written about is good, is good. Sometimes you get pitches this thing you haven't heard about is bad and that's worse. Right. Um but if if you can be like I have an expertise in this thing and I can offer it here, we'll listen to it. Oh, I'm willing to like go I'm I'll report this out. That's interesting. Oh, I have this historical reference point blah blah blah. I think that is more valuable than well, I just have opinions that are interesting. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, unless you're unless people already care about your opinions just a thing and good if things are good or bad is not interesting it should be more specific of just expand the sort of definition of what you're trying to write um you say
0: that but uh seth meyers got to write about how detroiters is good
1: well that's the thing but he's famous right <laughs> yeah. i that's the thing like yeah. i i it ended i've already written more complicated pieces about detroiters and i didn't have a i just didn't have the oomph to be like this show was good i, I was like I know Seth likes it. Seth is. I, I've had Seth do other things that are coupled to this, like we Seth and I walked. They Seth organized this big bracket of Lonely Island um, digital shorts for when they were leaving, or when Andy was leaving, and so him and I just walked through that bracket like a couple years afterward. Oh wow! And I was like, I just interviewed Seth Meyers. He has a full job for an hour, nothing about his own work. What, what, what was the best one? They, I believe. Oh God, was. I want to say, Mother Lover One. Okay, because and this is a real useful insight. I is um, I love talking to SNL people almost the most because you you truly get more insight every time you do. And it's like for SNL writers, if you're able to do a second version of something and it's funnier or as funny or mm. really escalates, it's it's a it's it's um, the greatest achievement. Mm. That's why Black Jeopardy is like one of the great achievements in sketch writing of the last whatever years because it's like it escalates the premise and can completely investigate different things and mm. in a format that you would not think be able to. Right. Right. But like that is, I think they, they, they probably themselves are surprised that it worked out that way, <laughs> but they're able the fact that like, Oh, they had this one thing that was funny and it had this sort of, is already paradoxical. And then you're like, Oh, we can have these different places and then that changes it that way. Um, that is so why mother level one. But my favorite is Reba, I think.
0: Oh, Rebo Reba, Reba McIntyre. I
1: think okay. I want a to win.
0: Which one's Reba Two again? worlds. She, she, it's, uh, Keenan plays Rebo. Re- yeah, that's right. Oh, yes, yes, yes.
1: Because I had a grand theory of them and the sort of nature of what they play with masculinity and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and I thought Rebo really walked that line while also being silly. Um, When I was younger, being punched in the face before eating or something like that uh, was, oh, right. was like seminal.
0: <laughs> I... I, don't, I haven't. I haven't watched *Lily Island* in a bit. But I'm missing out. Threw, threw it on the ground. I think that's a favorite. Yeah, it's I was an underrated. it was either. so
1: funny. I was, this is a good platform to get out. That I think threw it on the ground is available sometimes in karaoke bars, and I've never really? done it because uh, I just haven't had a chance, and I also don't know how familiar are <laughs> familiar people. That's
0: are. absurd that it's available in karaoke bars.
1: Be- the thing that's absurd is it's like. One of the ten most famous songs they have, right? Like, if if you were to guess the ten, you were not threw it on the ground is is the surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. We're not. I yeah. it's like, oh, I'm <laughs> gonna do. It. I'm gonna list the to top ten. I'm not gonna do it here because we, we have all these notes and we've got probably none of them. <laughs> we're good. Um,
0: when you when you start writing a piece, mm. how do you like, how do you like approach it?
1: Um, the same way I always do, which is. Um, I have an idea, then I think about it and then I visualize all of it in my head. Um, and then I start and then I finish it. Um, and different things will happen. I, as I've gotten, my pieces have gotten longer. I write outlines and I never used to, but my pieces were 1200 words long and I can, I used to be able to write 1200 words of like, I have an idea and it's, I I don't know how writing works. I was a bad writer my entire life. I was a bad writer in high school. Was my worst English was my worst class by far. Um, wow. Yeah, it wasn't even... It was like I was a math person and I knew that and I was like English was my worst subject. And then I went to college and I wrote an essay and I thought it was the best essay I ever wrote and I got an F on it and I was like, oh, I need to learn how to write essay. I didn't know. I didn't know what a sentence was. I didn't know what a paragraph was. So I would go to the writing center twice per... Um, essay I ever wrote and they told me how writing works and I took like what was ultimately like a writing for science or whatever and it's like okay you have an intro paragraph at the end you have a thesis statement that's what I I believe is called the hamburger method Uh, (laughs) then uh, uh, support 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 counterfactual or whatever conclusion um in journalism there's different things you can i learned from along the way that people just told me you can start with a scene which is like just place you in the moment i like doing that all the things i do are that because i just recount what the joke is so that's usually what happens so then you i go uh recount what the joke is intro where you have a thesis back up a minute give context support 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 Mm -hmm. counterfactual conclusion um but now that i've like um the last the last i've probably the last two bigger things i wrote was uh trump is bad at comedy uh, trump is bad for comedy yeah. It's the worst worst trump, trump is one of the worst things ever happened to comedy yeah. trump is so, maybe good at comedy um God, there, there's the things that are good about him he spends a little time doing he yeah. is sort of it's just a silly thing of how um he just sort of slips on the ban- banana peel over right, right. um and those are sort of write outlines of like this section will do that, or the piece about how funny comedy needs to be. Mm-hmm. That was this is the thing that never has happened to me. Uh, it was at a deadline. I had a very small idea of a piece. It was just that there's a lot of debate currently about the state of comedy, and I was just gonna be, I was just gonna state that the debate exists, and I was just gonna be like blah blah, and a nut came out, and people were mad, and blah, blah blah, and that was gonna be it. It was gonna be like 800 words. And then at the end of the 800th word, I was like, oh no, I have a completely different thing and it's called post-comedy. I just had the, I was like, oh, that's the answer. I just had the word and I told, because it was going to be the centerpiece of a whole package that I later should have realized comedians were going to make fun of or talk about incessantly for forever. Um, Not, it is a good thing, but maybe it's a good thing. So then I was like, oh, I have things post-comedy. I told my editors. I then redid it and then wrote this i just sort of i knew he, i had beats i knew that they had to go in an order this connects to this mm-hmm. um and then i just sort of write it a big chunk and then i i edit as i go and i'll look back on it but i i'm not um my lines are very uh Loose. They're just literally one word. It's like now I'm thinking like I'm saying like how a comedian lays out a set list. You know, in many ways it is like how a comedian lays out a set list. And but it's it's not like I'm. Ri- it's just sort of like I can, I see it. I, I kind of have a holistic like a gestalt picture of what the piece is saying. um And then you just sort of go in order.
0: With, like, a post-comedy, mm-hmm. do, does that happen often where you, like, I mean, obviously not to that extent, but where you start a piece and then, like, you're, like.
1: Never. W- that's the first time it's ever happened. Really? <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, never, that's the first time. Literally, never have I gone into a piece and not known what I was doing. And then I don't, that, I don't, like, free write and be, like, oh, let me just muse about this. I sort of, like, know an idea that it, that I will express and try to, like oh here's an idea that is maybe complicated or simple let me like make a complicated idea more simple by having the rest of the piece or let me have a simple idea that i make more complicated for mm. the recipes i've never phrased it that way but that's yeah. that is exactly what it is
0: <laughs> uh what do you what do you think about the state of comedy journalism today <laughs>
1: what a question I, um hmm this is really interesting um it, it's I'm going to... I like when this stuff happens in podcasts. I don't know... I'm really debating how honest I want to be. Which is very fair. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like... um, There's there's often not benefit to it, but I... I... I, So, we bought Splitsider. Vulture bought Splitsider under my recommendation um, as a person who used to work at Splitsider and a person who realized, like, Vulture had no real comedy presence. I established one via things that I did... But also, I, um, I wrote about, you know, like just from the different pieces I wrote, and then podcast helps a lot because comedians like being on the podcast. Um, some listen to it, but uh, but so, and I was like, Split Sider will allow us to sort of really become, like the only go- game in town, and Meg is so great, and I knew she'd be great. And the other thing is, I just I've over time at Vulture, I've been there for six years, I've been torn in so many different directions. And I was like, we just need someone else to do these things. Um, And it would be helpful. with someone who can, like, legitimately do it much better than I ever could anyway. And is, like, actually an editor and um, has a perspective of, like, much more journalistic uh, instinct of, like, what is the truth that we need to get at, which is great. Like, so the thing, but that was partly was motivated by, I just, um, I just do a lot of projects that are not journalism. Like, um, so the podcast is comedy related, but like, I can't write a piece. It's like, it is this thing. And then, um, I plan events for Vulture. I plan Vulture Festival. And then also, um, I develop TV projects at Vulture is a thing that I do. Um, so we have a pilot in the works at True TV. Um, that's, uh, an award show that's every week um so we're developing that pilot but like that is me doing that i am the one developing that pilot and that is a uh full-time job um or a lot of time job i so you know and there's writing stuff i do on the side uh, that also takes up a certain amount of time and mental energy i think as i've gone on just sort of mental energy has been taken up so um i I wish there's more outlets for it. I wish there's more people doing it. I wish there were people that were that can do exactly the thing that I did like um which is write about jokes in a way that does not ruin it um and write about comedy in a way that is additive and it that conveys that this is an art form um and there, there probably is. I just want more, and I want them to have more platforms. And um, Yeah, I think the I had a goal when I started, which was to make better audiences. Mm. Um, audiences that know more about comedy and, as a result, demand more from comedians. And I don't know if that—I can't tell you if that's the case or not. Um, I think—I I hope so. I don't know. Like you'd have to ask comedians, they you know, but it's as much as there's good audiences are gonna there's gonna be bad, but right. if I can do anything to have moved the ball up the hill slightly in that direction, and hopefully more people will have read that and be like, Oh, you can rant about jokes in a way that doesn't uh remove any of the fun out of it. And the trick is really just uh have the joke at top and then you can talk about it because right. the joke you they've already enjoyed the joke. That was the secret of my podcast, which I <laughs> I was like, "Oh no, maybe this will work, and then that was the lucky gamble. It was like, "Oh, if we play a joke at the beginning, no one will be mad that we talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, they're actually happy because they heard the joke and they liked it. Mm-hmm. like I was like, well, at minimum, we'll get a good joke at the beginning, so then if the podcast <laughs> is bad, um but yeah, people love the people love these jokes. People tell me when they don't like the joke, and as if that is an affront to like the podcast premise. Like, oh really? Oh, it's I like the interview good but it, you know I didn't care that much about the jokes and blah, blah blah. I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." I don't I usually the comedian picks the jokes. So I have no control over it. Um sometimes I'll recommend it if I have so many questions or thoughts about it. Um but not too often because sometimes the jokes that are the best they're like, "Well, it just it just happened." Where right, the right. jokes that are more uh they have more stories around, you know, didn't have they 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 know why a joke um is worthy to be talked about.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh going back to comedy j- journalism real quick there. Sure. Um I don't something that I've been thinking about lately is I guess cuz we're I guess talking about comedy so seriously is, is somewhat newish. Mm-hmm. Um I was wondering if if people are maybe too kind right now? If journalists are too kind in in, in some respects on how they report on stuff?
1: Um I I'm trying to remember how to, how I I I used to think about this, m- m- or or explain why I don't write negative things from most part. Um, I've written a couple when I was younger, but um, I don't. I the main thing was that I personally have no interest in writing if something's good or bad. So th- that was part of like comedy is still not a thing that people understand could be good or bad. Mm beyond their own instinct right you have conversations and and if you ask people what they think is not funny they are not going to list non-famous people they're going to say the most famous person they could think of who they think is not funny right you know like over and over again people all the time tell me like i don't think let's use an example of someone (laughs) ever that is (laughs) quaid yeah sure but like people like oh i i didn't think john mullin was that i don't think john mullin is that funny he's very charming or whatever where, like, obviously the zillion people are like, he's the funniest person right, right. around. he's a, And people tell me, because I'm, like, the guy who, like, who talks to John Mulaney more than once and sometimes has similar voice. This is my John Mulaney voice. I want to talk higher. Um, <laughs> and they're just, like, people see me and are like, oh, you're, like, one of those John Mulaney guys. <laughs> and and people tell me. They'll be like, oh, I don't think he's funny. But we're, and I am, like i'm a big advocate is there's no you uni- like right. i wrote in one piece um comedy is subjective and, and someone's like well all art is subjective It's was like okay well comedy is very subjective and and people have been raised and by people i mean men but all people but especially men have been raised like if you think it's funny that means it's funny and and then so you're like there's no universal definition of funny so it's like how are we to be like Jeff Dunham is not funny if more people find him funny than people that I think are funny? Right. What is funny if not an amount of an audience saying this is funny? Now I can be like Jeff Dunham is a hack because like these these jokes he's saying are the the point of view is lazy or the classic definition of what a hack is, which is on like an tried and true opinion and right. borderline racist. And what he's doing is lacking in paradox. I can say that if I want to take down Jeff Dunham. But there's only so many comedians worth taking down. That was always thing, like, like, um, regardless of like the big ones, the people that can sell out. Um, it's not even just the people that can sell out. Madison Square Garden, because I don't think it's like hugely worth it to be like, let me write a Bill Burr takedown. I think if I had something, I think. It just sort of like, it really was like, oh, well, you can write something about, like, Chappelle, if his Chappelle special's bad, or if Louis' special's bad. And I've written negative things about Chappelle's, but, like, if—what's um what's a good, medium, famous person's podcast uh, special? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know what Ben benefit- Ali Wong. Yeah, Ali Wong, right? Like, if I was like, oh, this is why Ali Wong's second special is worse than her first. Or this part's good, but this part's not good. I don't know— um, what we're getting out of it because I don't think that pushes the discourse forward Mm -hmm. because also I, I think I, so like even when I used to do the best specials of the year and which I didn't do this year for, um, reasons. And, but I used to do, and I used to put a lot of thought of it and I go, I removed what I find funny. I don't, I did not be like, what did I find funny? And that gets higher in the list. I remove it. I don't, it's not even a factor. (laughs) and I go well people found this funny how good is it at what it's trying to do and that's the thing that's complicated which is like there's big comedians who I think are good who I don't find that funny um but I don't think that means they're not funny um and that's the thing that it's hard to change an opinion on mm-hmm. right like there's when things are good at being dramatic whatever that means people there's a there's an amount of consensus around it there's different amount of interest in the story and there's tonal difference blah 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 um, but like it's hard for comedy because that idea of like not funny is a thing that mm-hmm. we've heard right. like over and over again, and then mixed with comedians who said funny is funny, which is like the great lie of comedy. <laughs> um, because it's not true. Because funny is funny is only as good as your audiences are, right. and who your audience is. So if funny is funny, and you only play. Do you only play Union Hall? Like that's it? So funny is funny is if you stay at Union Hall. You don't know if funny you're funny, funny or whatever can play somewhere else, and maybe it can, and maybe you are the people that can play a thousand people. But is it? Are you playing a thousand people because of this, or you're playing a thousand people because you tell a story that is useful to them? Like, um, and I don't discredit that. There's very charming comedians who are okay storytellers who are okay joke writers, but ultimately, like. The, what they're telling is interesting and no one else is telling it. And I think mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to discredit that um, because people are interested in it. I, I can't remember what the original question was. No, 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 that makes sense. Uh, oh, are we too hard? Are we not harsh enough? Yeah. I, I, I'm not the brave person to ask on it because I, I think we are harsh to the people that deserve scrutiny. I think Dave Chappelle deserves scrutiny not because sure. he's not PC or whatever. I think Dave Chappelle as a comedian who I won't say, says the problem with Dave Chappelle's latest specials aren't necessarily that they're politically incorrect, is that he's become a, a very lazy comedian. Right. Um, and he wasn't as much. He's an incredibly talented person. And he takes his talent for granted that a lot of people do. Also, audiences give famous people a lot of leeway, and um, you perform in a bubble. And different comedians have different sizes bubble, but they all have a bubble of the people that go see them live. Now... When you put out a special, the context is removed, and these people don't know everything. They don't know that they don't know that people are laughing, right? So a comedian mm-hmm. will tell a joke, and if people laugh at it, they might step up, step further towards the line. So then the audience in front of you them tells them the line is here. So, but the audience at home did not w- right. go on that journey. Right, their line is sh- shallower, and then you crossed it by ten right. feet, but you don't know that. But you can't be mad at the audience at home. You should be smart enough to know that that audience at home is different. And Chris Rock knows that stuff. Like, like that is like I've been in audience where Chris Rock has gone a million miles down the line to see where the line is, or he's pushed blah blah. blah and you watch a special, and for the most part, he's like he knows what he's doing because he's intentional about the work he's doing. And I think what I do like about comedy is. I think a lot of people are understand that they should be a little bit more professional. I think there's a looseness that was really celebrated a few years ago. I think when everyone's like, Oh, we got to put a new special every year. I think people are like, Oh, maybe we don't. Um, and I think the, think about the product that you're putting out and how people are going to receive it. And I think some comedians are getting better at, it and I, you know, I think a lot of, uh, there's a lot of very good comedians and, the only thing that's now concerning is if they have time to do it because people are like, "Can I have that special that you're working on right now?" Because I have, I don't want Netflix to get it in in two months afterward because they're going to give you seven billion dollars. Here's whatever, and that is a, a concern, but also get get money, comedians. Who knows right, how right. long it's going to last?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't think about it like that. Where I guess comedy is very different from like um, TV or film in terms of in terms of writing about it because there's so many different tiers in comedy rather than TV. Yeah. I mean, I think the
1: other thing is um, when I was doing the year-end list, there would be a million-year-end movie list. So your opinion could be much more... People that follow film critics, they're like, I like the same movies as A.O. Scott. So I want to read what he says to be like, okay, I will like this movie. It's worth my time. I see two movies a year. Right? Um or whatever Dana Stevens that, you know, I, I, um, I, use, but comedy, there are not that many year in lists really. So then it's like my list can't be, Oh, this is just this guy's a uh, sort of opinion. What's good. I mean, right. it's definitely my opinion, but it's like, and some people want to know that. And, and like, I definitely lean as I say, when people complain about whatever I do, It's like, I've all leaning tastes. So, sorry, Chris Right. I I don't think Chris should be like thrown in the trash, but like Crystalia is just not my, is doesn't speak my language. I don't like there's certain sort of types of like whatever that I will respond to, but I have to feel like I need to be writing about what the art form is doing this year and who represents that Mm -hmm. and who achieves, who uh, best achieved what they were trying to do um, via the medium of comedy. Um, I did so yeah, I think if I were to say like what was the best special last year, I would say it was Cameron F. Zito's rape because I think it was the most successful what was what was trying to do. Mm. And then I'd be like Adam Sandler. Um and then I don't know, Nanette, uh, John Mulaney. and then I can't remember, I had a clear fifth one, I can't remember what it was. Oh, Kyle half hour. Mm. Were the ones that I was like, oh, and but that's not probably what I would have to re investigate. Um but, yeah, so it that's what's hard. It's, there's so few people doing it, so then the pressure to be representative is complicated. Um, but, you know, it's new, so hopefully because it's new, then it will keep on going. So then it'll be, you know, everything was new at one time. <laughs> You're right. It'll
0: be interesting to see how comedy journalism, well, I guess it depends on how popular comedy is still going to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always, I think, uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah. I think a lot of comedians are like, I think this one's going to last. And so it's been, look, the comedy, it, it started almost 10 years ago, really, at its nascent stage. And when I wrote that piece in 2011 or 12, some people were like, oh, it's over now. The people, the winners have been established. And there's been three generations of success, successful people since, mm-hmm. right? Um so there's more opportunities. I think the question will be what will happen when the all these TV opportunities of like oh like there's so so many it's a seller's market. If that ends what do these live comedians do? But I think um the hope is that still more infrastructures have been built in a different way than when it was um as cynical partly because a lot of it is community like comedy communities are being built opposed to just sort of like, Oh, we, this Chinese restaurant turned into a comedy club because it and then whoever was around got to perform there. Right. Now it's sort of like everyone in the audience is a comedian in a way and everyone. So you think that's a little bit more established.
0: So as you, as you mentioned earlier, you host the great podcast, a uh, good one. Yes. Uh, how did that come about?
1: Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> for asking me, <laughs> uh, um, I, uh, it's a, it's a pretty short story of I was I got an email. It's it's like commerce leads the way in this one small case where I get an email from someone in sales being like, what are bigger ideas in which you would need a lot of money up front to start it up? Journalistic ideas. And there's only so many. And I was like, well, I can start a podcast. <laughs> and um, then an amount of time goes by. And then they're like crashing as interested in sponsoring it. And I was, and I think that that's because I interviewed Pete a ton. I'd, I've maybe interviewed Judd. I can't remember, but Judd Jud was sort of familiar with my work or whatever. I, there was some like, or maybe they had a set visit, and I met them there. I just sort of been in, especially Pete's orbit a lot, and Judd and Pete had a lot of say in where their advertising money went. So they agreed to sponsor the first season of a podcast that had not existed, that did not have an idea, that did not have a name, which is crazy. Right. That does not happen. Um, and so I was like, okay, what's an idea? And then I you know I was like, at this point, I've been writing about jokes in this way where I start a joke and then build out. So I was like, I guess that I can do that. And then Song Exploder existed. And I liked Song oh, Exploder. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, maybe I could do that. And then I, I just sort of talked it out. And then I thought of names, and pretty quickly um, Good One came up. Now I can't remember if it was my friend Kelly Connoboy's idea, or I just talked to her, and she told me it should be Good One and not A Good One or The Good One. It should just be called Good One. And so then it was Good One, and then because I like...
0: It was like uh, the social social network scene, like the Facebook?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I the main thing that it's my thing, I love sub titles or sort of so I to me is like good one a podcast about jokes to me is I don't know if I'd say it's funny but it's just like what I like things being mm-hmm. um like I love a Star Wars story I think it's I'm so sad <laughs> we're gonna lose that because I just love the flow of like rogue one a Star Wars story or hunt solo a Star Wars story <laughs> um and I like that it's so uh, plain spoken um and then so I just had the idea and then I didn't know if comedians would agree to do it but I had to ask and then um I just started asking people and people said yes, because they just wanted to be interviewed. And then I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, and I mean, the and then I just sort of started. I did Jim Gaffigan and Neil Brennan. The first day I did it, I interviewed them back to back. Um, and those are okay. I want to interview them both again, because I'm just better at it now. The big thing that I realized is if you go back and listen, those are the only episodes where I asked people why they picked the joke that we talked about. Mm. Um, I don't know when I had this breakthrough. um, but at some point I realized I can predict why
0: mm.
1: and that is they even if they don't know why. so my the my greatest skill as an interviewer um is predicting why comedians pick the joke they pick when they do, and then I just research so much, and I don't know if that's a skill as much as a thing that I do that no one else is doing. Uh, with comedians especially because you just you know that's the thing i was like comedians are being interviewed all the time what is mine what makes mine different is that i've read every single interview they've ever done and i've listened to every podcast they've been on um and and that is a huge difference no one does that because it's crazy and i shouldn't have done it um when i interviewed phoebe robinson uh afterwards and she's like we're friendly and she's like you shouldn't put this much work into this show (laughs) it's like it's really nice but like You're too busy. Someone else should be doing this work for you. And I don't know how. Like, I don't know how to do it how, like, Terry Gross does it, which is like, oh, she wakes, she goes to the office and, like, here are the sections of this book you need to read, here are all these questions, and then um, I can't, I don't know how to not, how to just sort of do that. Right. Um, Because I've never done it before and it's too late. I've now done 50 episodes this way. And so, yeah, now it's been four seasons and, like, two years or whatever. Yeah.
0: What do you think has been like the the biggest takeaway from doing this? Like, what have you like, learned the most? Um,
1: it really is. Um, comedians are. I uh, How do I start? Let me start. I'll start again. The comedians are um, worth it. They proved. I set down a challenge to comedians to be interesting and to be complicated and to be artists that have in, individual point of views and perspectives and goals and writing styles and blah 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 and i put them under amount of scrutiny of thinking about them and having an opinion about their work and then they uh for the most part prove worthy subjects for that amount of scrutiny Mm. i i i like to think of um i write i like to say i write about art and i interview artists however comedy is the art I write about because it's the one I'm best at writing about. And comedians are the people I interview because they're better at talking about art than other artists mm. um, because they talk for a living. And um, the fact that they are able to do that and be artists and be treated as it. And for the most part, it, it is one of the great joys of it. And I think what is so re- the great pleasant surprise is that uh, I don't know why but comedians I'm asking questions comedians don't like, usually don't like talking about with non comedians, um, and for some reason that they, I feel very privileged that they are willing to talk to me about it. The just the nature of how they do it and to take themselves so seriously when that is the thing that comedians always hate. They they that that's why they don't like. They're like ah, I'm just farted on stage. It's like and you spent like four months thinking about <laughs> why that. Reflects you and what it's trying to say, and um, that I get to bring that to people, and they're like, Oh, this person who I didn't think was that I didn't think this much about their work has this much thought into their work. Is I, I, I feel so um, happy that it exists. Um, so many depths I can't like, there's so many episodes where I'm like, people did not think of this person this way, and now they can, and that's um. And that's back to, like, making better audiences. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I just remember being, like, I was interviewing Natasha Leggero and being, like, this is, pe- pe- everyone should listen to this and be, like, oh, Natasha Leggero is this special comedian that they had not thought about. Or um, so many of the people, I'm trying to think of who else. Like, Laurie Kilmarnon and and Nikki Glazer. I don't know why I'm only thinking of the female comedians, but... Um, the
0: Sinbad episode. Sinbad,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, that's a, right, Sinbad, it's, like, oh, he's just some guy in the 90s, and you're yeah, like, yeah. oh, he's just sort of like, that's the thing comedians think of him as, like, one of the great comedians ever, and sort of is not thought of, and he is, like, such a unique bird, and you're like, how do I just make sure he doesn't steamroll me? Because <laughs> that's the thing, when you listen to him, he just sort of has that, And you are like, what is he doing, what is he not doing, how much of it is free association, how much is not, what is the goal he's trying to get across? Um, And that was so exciting, but, like, Almost all my episodes, I'm like, oh, this is like, there's so much more behind it than, um, than it seems, and um, it's like they're, you know, comedy is like magic in a way. No, it's like, but like it is like magic, but like magic, you only see the whatever the 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 display is, but there's all the stuff happening in the background. And the same thing with comedians, but that's it's all internal, and the fact that I can get that out there without ruining the joke because you hear the joke and then you, it makes the joke better. Uh, is it, it rules, man? It's like, <laughs> it just really rules. It's like yeah. I, I, when i talk, and sometimes I'll be talking, like I remember talking to Roy Wood Jr. I'm like, this is great. No one is, this is a thing. This is no one else is getting this. This is information that is interesting. Um, or there's, I see Pan Oswald's signature on your fridge. Just and,
0: not not Pat Oswald's signature. But I just see it to be
1: like, <laughs> one of the great joys of my entire life was when I interviewed Pat Oswald. And we realized together, like the thing is, when I like it's good, but when me and comedians realize at the same time, or I kind of already realized this, but sometimes it happens at the same time. And me and Pat Oswald were going through how he's writing the jokes about his wife passing away. And. He's talking about this one bit um, about the Polish woman of doom or whatever. And he's talking about how it's built. And I was like, Oh, when did it start working or something? And it's like, I don't know, maybe it was, um, I remember I did a show at the New York comedy festival and he's like trailing off and he's trying. And I was like, Oh, I was at that show. And then I was like, and then in the same time, almost like in unison, uh we're like, oh, because it was the week after Halloween. And then like we immediately at the same time realized that because like the the funniest part of the joke is the Halloween part, and then like this was the week after Halloween, and like he did not remember this because his wife passed away and the entire thing was in a fog, including writing entire writing and performing a full special. And in that moment we both sort of realized a breakthrough that he had that he did not remember he had. Oh, yeah. So then he sort of experienced on air in the podcast. And I was like, this is a, this is a moment. This is like a, like literally it's like a breakthrough in therapy that I got to bring out of him. And I don't think my podcast is therapy, but like, that was a thing that I was like, Ooh, this is a special moment. Like you really got to see what it's like when Pat Oswald has a kernel of an idea. Um, and there's a lot of people who've been fans of him that have never had that experience. And I think he, And he really likes that episode because I think he also was like, oh, we got at something that I didn't realize I had.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating. Uh, What advice would you give to somebody who wanted to become a a journalist on comedy?
1: (laughs) Um, It's like that thing, uh, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. And then it's that Jerry Seinfeld thing. It's like he tells everyone who wants to be a comedian not to do it. And if they they don't, then they never are going to make it. Because if you will listen to some old guy who who tells you not to do it, you're never going to make it anyway. Um, which is true for comedy. Uh, I always say like comedians are not the funniest, not, not necessarily the funniest people. It's just the people that have to do comedy and the best comedians are people who are the funniest people and also the people that have to do comedy. But so if you're going to be a comedy journalist, what is my advice? Hmm. Oh, here's good. So here's two things. It's they're vaguely rated. Um, Ian Carmel once asked Jason Zinneman and I on Twitter, if we ever did comedy, if we ever, if we ever would do up and write about it, or we feel like we need to do stand up to understand comedians. And I, uh, Jason said he didn't. And I can't remember if Jason says he thinks he should or whatever, but he, he had all, and I said, I, I didn't, I said, I said, I did it once. And which I did. And after I was already a comedy journalist and, and, um, and it wasn't for edification about what it's like to be a comedian. It was sort of like, I had these jokes. I have a friend who's a comedian who's my writing partner on this. And she's like, We just have to do these. You have these jokes ready to say them out on stage. And I did it, and one went well. Um, and I realized in that moment, thank God, I do not need to do this again. I didn't, it, it was perfect. It was just good enough that I can hold my head up high and still feel like I can write about comedy, but not so good that I'm like, well, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm God gave me this gift. And, and I wasn't so addicted to it that I need to do it every night. Um, but what I told Ian is I don't, my job, I understand generally how comedy works, give or take. My job is not to further understand that. My job is to be able to tell people who don't know how comedy works how comedy works, to be able to translate what comedians are doing to regular people or civilians, as they say. So I need to be more in touch with the civilians than I needed to be with the comedians. So that is the thing that you have to think of. It's like, what do people who don't know about comedy, who like comedy, need to know about this? What can you? T- what are you uniquely able to translate? That is like what your job is as a conduit, as a comedy journalist. You are in the communication business, and you are helping to translate. Now, you're like, well, everyone's speaking English. But like for the most part, <laughs> this is going to get heady as hell. So uh, in legal philosophy, uh, as my partner uh, explained to me, she's like, um, there's this idea of the meeting of the minds, which is – really useful in understanding comedy to me, which is uh, there's a theory that no contract should ever be, uh, no contract is ever truly just unless both parties have the exact same, completely the exact same understanding of the terms. But that is impossible. It's no, it's impossible for two brains to have the exact same Mm -hmm. conception of a thing. It's not, it's, it's a limit approaches infinity or whatever of complete understanding. And that is all communication. There, you never, when you are communicating, are ever going to be able to have the complete same understanding as someone else. And a comedian's job is to do their best to try to com- explain who they are to other people. It is um, you are you are trying to translate your brain to an audience. But the problem is you can only do so so good of a job of it. Um, and I think all people in mediums where you're communicating are in that ability of trying to translate what people are thinking to other people's thinking. Because you have different set of words that might make it a little less um, acute or obtuse, whichever is the one that is, <laughs> no, whatever it is. So it's 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 trying to think of what is this person doing? How can I explain it to this person in an interesting way that they're not getting from just watching it? Don't worry about what's good or bad. Just worry about what you're able to um, convey. So I think that, and that is. Uh, a weird mindset, and it's like a bit robot-y or whatever. But that that is sort of what I w- would first say, which is um, worry about what your audience wants, or whoever this audience is. Who are you writing for, and and what do they need to know? So right, it's like, oh, I'm writing for Judd Apatow. This me. I write for Judd Apatow, Seth Meyers, and like my family. That like that's really like I don't like everyone else in between. They can like it or not like it, but like those are that's the spectrum that I want to cover. Mm-hmm. Is people like that have this sort of context? They want I want to make sure they don't think this is so stupid right. that they get simple something out of it. But I also want my parents who, though know some things and they watch comedy because of my life. That they aren't like what are you talking about? And I think. Also, just not be so—it's uh, okay if, the, if you don't put everything you know about something in a piece. You th- you don't need to prove to the reader that you're smart. Um, I, that's a real thing that I learned later in life, I think. And in general, I, I have that need to try to prove to people that I'm smart. But for the most part, because the thing is written, they're like, well, I guess they're smart. They wrote a whole thing. <laughs> You don't need to tell them you know everything about everything. Just sort of like, what do they, what will they be interested in knowing? And, and think about the length of the piece as, re, as it relates to that. Um, and the other thing that I would want to tell company journalists, I feel like I had two things. Um, is, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing that I said before, which is, uh, offer something unique. Uh, so what can only you write? Oh, I was the only person who's pitching you that watched this one thing. And I know this thing is uniquely interesting because of X. And I don't have like in tremendously interesting examples because I imagine to your listeners, they'll be like, well, everyone knows this stuff. I mean, like the, the first one was like, I knew I was the sort of, I was younger than the person that everyone else had vulture when I was hired. And it wasn't even that young. I was just sort of younger. So Boy Meets World was a touchstone for me, but my colleagues who were three years older, it just wasn't. So, like, I wrote all these Boy Beats World stuff, and it was very popular. Or, like, when um, 21 Jump Tree was... Something I wrote about Clone High, and no one else was writing about Clone High. Um, and it was... And But now lots of people... Like, I think a lot of people might hear this, but like, well, everyone knows about that. And you're like, figure out where you're writing for, and if they do. And there's a lot of super niche things that are too niche, but you have to, you have to think about when's it time to write this story? What is, you know, like I wrote about clone high, not just because it was good. I wrote about Clone high because, um, cause Lego movie was big. So now it's time to contextualize clone high with a Lego movie. I didn't write about just because it's a good thing. And everyone sleeps on this thing. That's so funny. It's like, why now is like the hackiest, um, question that um tv and movie executives ask people it is like truly everyone will be like why now this it's it's a cliche i don't know if you've talked about on this show um but it is so (laughs) important it's insane um it is the it is the most useful thing for i imagine all writing if you're listening to this and you're not a journalist and you want to be writing a story if the answer is and the answer of why now like i've written Things that are not journalism, that the reason I wrote them are personal, right? If the answer is like, I need to write this now because I needed to write a full length play just to do it, which mm-hmm. was part of it. I wrote this play about Batman and Superman because I had an idea and I had a week and I always said, I want to see if I can use a vacation to write a play. Um, and I just did it. I can't remember how I started it, but for the most part, like, and that was, it was an exercise. Someone I got, I wrote a short thing and someone's note was your characters are too small, ha- have bigger characters. So it was like, I'll use Batman Superman. <laughs> I don't know anything about Batman Superman. So I researched it. But so there's no, I knew no one was going to see this play. I mean, I I had it performed in sections uh, at the flea, but it was not, that was a personal reason I needed to do it because I needed to grow as a creative person to think about how I think about characters. So that is a thing that you should do. I mean, I imagine everyone says, this. <laughs> or maybe they don't. Maybe like that's shitty and whatever, but like, why now it can mean anything, but it's a good way of just being like, why am I doing this? Why, what is this character? Does this scene in this bigger thing, um, answer this question of this bigger piece of why this ex- is existing. Um, cause you're only put on this earth for so long and you <laughs> can die any day and blah, 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 blah.
0: Right. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. Um, Pretty good. uh, uh, Anything you want to plug?
1: Uh, Yes. Uh, So Good One is the main thing I'm here to plug. And we'll plug when people ask me to plug things. It's a (laughs) podcast. A comedian comes on. They play one of their jokes. And we talk about how they did it and then uh, why they did it. Um, And then there's a little thing at the end where we ask silly questions. And uh, people don't like that part sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Both the guests and the audience sometimes don't like it. But it's too late now. And, um, there's a new season coming out January 14th, uh, which is going to be great. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) there's a new season coming, uh, there's a new season coming out January 14th. Uh, you can get that where you get podcasts and I'm doing a live show, uh, soon on January 11th at union hall. The guests will be, uh, Julie Klausner will be the guest for the main part of the interview, which is so exciting. Julie was the first, one of the first comedians I ever interviewed and then, but they gave me an extra half an hour of time. <laughs> so I'm going to do uh, a mini interview uh, where I have a person sort of perform and then ask them just about the thing they just did. Oh, that's so, fun. Um, Catherine Cohen's going to be there and she's going to sing a song. I'm going to be like, what's that song going to be about? Um, and uh, Matt and Bowen, the last culturista's guys, are going to talk about... Um, How Do I Don't Think So, Honey, If for those familiar with it. And if you're not, look it up. And that's at the Union Hall on Friday, January 11th. And please come because uh, it'd be really interesting to sell out a show on a Friday night where it's going to be a very earnest conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.